Chapter 6, When Temperaments Collide In the last chapter, we zeroed in on you and how your temperament colors every conversation you have. Maybe you've just started wondering how people experience you and the words that you use. Maybe you've even had the courage to ask some of your friends or family members or coworkers about it, or maybe not. If you did ask a few friends or a couple of your kids, you would realize that everyone experiences you a little bit differently. One child may describe you as too serious, while another considers you thoughtful. But by now, it's probably clear that the reason for that is, of course, your temperament. In this chapter, we're going to talk about what happens when two temperaments meet up, or in some cases, collide. First, let me tell you a story. When my daughter Avery was about five years old, she went through an Elmo phase, and true to her yellow temperament, it was over the top. Just picture this. She would dress up in an Elmo costume and push her stuffed Elmo toy in a tiny Elmo stroller. So one day she came to me in costume with an idea that she was very excited about. Avery wanted to take her stroller door to door by herself around the whole neighborhood, bringing joy to all our neighbors. She figured that Elmo made her happy and our neighbors could use a little happiness. Can you imagine what went through this blue mom's mind? This definitely is not safe. I don't really even know our neighbors. People absolutely do not want a preschooler knocking on their door in the middle of the day. That can be embarrassing. What if she gets kidnapped? My poor baby, what if they slam the door on her face? She'll be devastated. While I was writing a mental list of all the reasons this was a bad idea, my sweet, cheerful, affectionate daughter was looking up at me expectantly. This was the moment of the pause. I could have blurted out any of the thoughts that were going through my mind, and it would have felt to her like taking a needle to a balloon. I chose not to. Instead, I said, Avery, what a creative way to show happiness to others. You are so inspiring. I considered my words in light of Avery's wiring. I almost said something that would have dulled her beautiful yellow sparkle and dismissed her strengths because of my own blue fears and insecurities. I am so glad I chose differently. Ultimately, she hit two houses before calling it quits. Those yellows, easily distracted and light on the follow through. And I did watch from the driveway. I had to make sure she was gonna be safe. The point of this chapter is to show you that the tensions you experience with the children around you are a result of your temperament plus theirs. Every interaction you have with a child, good or bad, is the sum of both parts. Very few of my clients will admit to having a favorite child. But we've all experienced the dynamics that some kids do seem to be easier than others. One child obeys while the other argues. 
She's full of joy and gratitude. Nothing seems to make him happy. This student completes all the assignments on time, and that one doesn't. One player puts in the effort at practice, the other slacks off. In the past, you've probably chalked up the difficult kids to somebody's bad parenting, or kids these days. From this point on, I hope you'll think, I wonder what this child's temperament is. It's likely that the easy kids are the ones who behave the way you expect them to behave. In chapter one, I suggested that your upbringing, dreams for your child, past experiences, and cultural messages have probably shaped most of the expectations you put on your child. I left one thing off that list, your temperament. Your temperament plays a role in all your expectations too. You've probably realized that by now. If you're a blue, you expect children to use inside voices in the house because too much chaos or noise can rattle you. If you're a green, you might expect a child to exercise a smidge of patience after asking for a snack rather than escalating quickly to volume. If you're a yellow, you expect your child to jump for joy when you tell them we're heading to Disney for the week. If you're a red, you expect students to do what they're told the first time. It's not wrong for your temperament to influence your expectations in these ways, but unless a child is wired exactly as you are, and I assure you they are not, they won't always meet your expectations. So what do we do then? Let's put together everything we've covered so far and answer this question. First, reconsider your expectations in light of your child's wiring. This child is green and therefore moves at a slower pace. It's unreasonable to expect her to wake up, get dressed, eat breakfast, and be ready for school in 30 minutes. Next, and very important, respond to the why rather than reacting to the what. She's stubbornly refusing to wake up. That's the what. Because the stressful pace of the morning is overwhelming her. That's the why. Finally, choose words that will build the child up. Validate their feelings. Compliment their strengths. And speak the language of their temperament. You're so good at staying calm. I know it's unpleasant to wake up to the rest of us rushing around every morning. Would it feel less stressful if you could come downstairs and chill on the couch for a few minutes when you're awake? Just imagine if every parent understood how to apply this formula. Maybe the daily wake-up call wouldn't have to ruin everybody's mood. If every teacher understood it, they would know extra recess is a more effective way to deal with a chatty yellow student than silent detention. Maybe if more coaches got it, your daughter would have stuck with softball or your son would not have cried on the way home from every football practice. Knowing your temperament and the temperaments of the children around you will change every conversation. I'll admit This is easier with some children than others. 
Typically, children whose temperaments are in the opposite corner of the quadrant than yours are the toughest. In other words, blues and yellows are bound to clash sometimes. And reds and greens will definitely struggle. Let me share how this played out with one of my clients a few years back. This blue mom had just spent hours on her day off deep cleaning her kitchen, while her husband took their yellow son to soccer. No sooner did she get finished mopping and waxing the floor than her yellow son came barreling through the back door. Picture this, with mud-caked cleats on. I know all the moms just took a sharp inhale and thought, oh, no, which is exactly how this mom reacted to the moment. What are you doing? I just spent an hour scrubbing this floor. She reacted to what the child did before considering the why he might have done it. If she had paused and thought, I wonder why he just burst into the kitchen without taking off his shoes like he usually does. She might have noticed the excitement in his voice, as opposed to hyper-focusing on the muddy cleats. Instead, her sharp tone and critical comments sent the yellow six-year-old stomping up the stairs to his room before he even had a chance to tell her that he had just scored his very first soccer goal. Wow. Ouch. This interaction is brought to you by Blue Plus Yellow. Being task-oriented, precise, and orderly, she had prioritized a clean kitchen over a conversation. The yellow child was just looking for approval and attention. Instead, he got scolded. If that would have been a green mom, she likely would have just mopped up the floor again after congratulating her son on the goal. If the child had been blue, he likely would have left his cleats outside before respectfully walking into the kitchen to share the good news. Why is it so difficult when opposite temperaments collide? Well, your strengths are their weaknesses. Their strengths are your weaknesses. Reds are action-oriented. Greens are hard to get moving. Greens are patient. Reds are literally never patient. You can choose to be irritated by this. Why can't he just relax? She is never on time. Or you can choose to look at it differently. Your child's strengths fill in the gap, making you better together. Imagine a red mom who's grown frustrated trying to teach her kindergartner to read. We've been over this a hundred times. T-H-E spells. Instead of letting the slow progress become a relational withdrawal, what if the mom called for help from her green child who can patiently spend the next 30 minutes gently coaching their little sister? See? Better together. If you could reframe the differences between you and the kids around you, not as problems to be fixed, but as gifts to be leveraged, how would that change some of your frustrations? Opposite wiring isn't the only combination that causes tension, though. Being the same temperament can have its own set of challenges. Grown-ups who see themselves in their children will often try to make sure 
I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did at your age. For example, a blue mom might be reminded of her own social struggles in high school and push way too hard for her blue daughter to connect with classmates. No color combination is exempt from communication challenges. But knowing your own temperament and tendencies, as well as those of the child you're speaking to, will ensure that you say the right thing at the right time. I've compiled my best advice for all 16 color combinations in part two of A Grown-Up's Guide for Kids Wiring. You'll find tips for handling the most common tensions for every possible mix of temperaments. I beg you to read them before you say one more word to one more child. Let's circle back to where we first started five chapters ago. Grown-ups, your role is not to fix your child. Your role is to coach a child to manage their weaknesses and believe in their strengths. Children will always struggle with their weaknesses. We all do. We all struggle with the weaknesses of our temperament. No amount of discipline or punishment will change that. What discipline and punishment will change, for the worse, is the relationship you have with your child and the self-image that they will carry into the future. Though most of this book has focused on kids and their wiring, you have a big part to play. While you're helping your child manage the weaknesses of their temperament, you'll need to do the same for yours by being aware of your weaknesses and your tendencies and choosing to live in your strengths. Being red does not give you the right to be bossy on or off the field. Saying, this is just the way blues are, does not justify being overly critical to your children. Being yellow does not make it okay to talk over everybody at the dinner table. And being green does not get you off the hook for dealing with conflict. Your temperament is not an excuse and it is not a weapon. Let me say that again. Temperament is not to be used as an excuse and is not to be used as a weapon. It is a tool. It's a tool you can use to build up the children around you, one word at a time. Becoming fluent in temperament language takes time and practice. It's harder than throwing your hands up in surrender, storming out of the room, or ignoring a problem altogether. You're going to have to make a conscious effort every single day in every single interaction to prioritize your child's innate needs above your natural responses. Remember, every word you use is a word you choose. This is so incredibly important. Every word you use is a word that you choose. Once the temperament frameworks really starts to kick in for my clients, it's common for them to say things like, oh my gosh, I've totally messed up. I've been saying the wrong thing for all these years. My kids are grown up now. Is it too late? Is the damage been done? I want to tell you the same things I tell them. It is never too late. 
even if you feel like you've flubbed up every conversation you've had with a child, everything can change from this point on. Just ask my friend Brent. Brent and his teenage son, Caleb, came to my office more than five years ago. I would describe their relationship at that time as fractured. In his red weaknesses, Brent had spent years tearing his green son down for not meeting his expectations, expectations that were never obtainable for Caleb. There was so much anger and resentment on Brent's side, and Caleb felt so misunderstood by his dad that he wanted almost nothing to do with him. To this day, this is one of the most heartbreaking dynamics I have ever coached. Why? Because the love between them was so evident. It's also one of the best examples of how powerful this temperament framework can be and evidence that it's never too late. Brent says as much in the final video on our YouTube channel if you'd care to hear it directly from him. It's in all of us to want an instant fix, but the change between Brent and Caleb did not happen overnight. It happened and continues to happen one conversation at a time. The more Brent worked on intentionally understanding Caleb's wiring, the more he realized his expectations had to change. Rather than using words that hurt and tore down, he began to focus on words that would help and build up. As grown-ups, the responsibility is on us. It's on us to lead the way with our words. The very next words you speak could and most likely will echo in a child's life forever. They will shape the children around you into the parents, coaches, and teachers they will one day become. This concludes the audio portion of A Grown-Up's Guide to Kids Wiring by Kathleen Edelman. Copyright 2021 by Kind Words Are Cool, LLC. For free downloadable resources for parents and teachers, visit kindwordsarecool.com.